Hi everyone. <laughs> I'm doing the spelling things today. Okay, so thanks for coming. Can you hear me okay? Is this good for the recording thing? Yeah. <laughs> I make sure everything I do is recorded as you can tell from this book. <laughs> Um, so we're, we thought that I would read a little first, and then Anna and I will talk, and then we'll ask if you have any questions, but we'll probably cover everything. Everything. So, so just feel free to sit back and relax, and don't worry about having to make a, make a question. Um, so the first chapter I'm going to read, don't worry, there are not a lot of chapters I'm going to read. <laughs> just two. Um, it's called Practice, and it was um, it's one of the earlier letters that were sent out. And I don't know that I don't know if you need any backstory. You probably already know the backstory, but um, the character of this book, me, um, is a <laughs> in the course of the book is a sex worker in a relationship, like a romantic relationship that's semi-committed at best. When my boyfriend found out that I'd been having unpaid sex for months without telling him, something strange happened. Not right away, but eventually. At first he blew up in a typical way, confrontation, accusation, etc. But all that burned off relatively quickly because I knew and he knew several things. One, that we'd been together for too long and through too many bad stretches to finally end it over something as pedestrian as non-monogamy. Two, that I cannot be told what to do. And if he tried to stop me, he would fail. And three, which we did not discuss until a week or more after. But he really, really, really likes it when I fuck other men. It's not a cuckolding scenario. He simply gets off on watching me with other men, thinking about me with other men, hearing about me being with other men, being with me while I'm with other men. All of it. I don't remember when I learned this about him, but in some ways it may be our primary point of compatibility. I never understood sexual fidelity, and it's a relief to know deep down that I don't have to abide by it. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say never. One of my more vivid high school memories is of several girlfriends and I going to eat at the Chinese restaurant where the boy who had a crush on me worked. It was summertime. We were barely clothed and all giggly with the news that I'd given my first blowjob to Mike, a boy outside our usual social circle. Mike and I went to school together, but we weren't friends in school. We didn't have any classes together, and our respective groups of friends didn't intersect at many points. But for some reason, he struck up a conversation with me over Instant Messenger. It was like AOL Instant Messenger, (laughs) because I am a literal dinosaur. It eventually progressed to phone calls, which eventually progressed to him coming to my home during the day, while my younger brother, oblivious, I hope, played video games in the living room. Mike was not at all attractive to me in terms of his appearance, but he made me laugh, sang me made-up songs, and was more popular than I was. Plus, I was on a mission to teach myself how to be good at sex. That had to start with engaging in the main components, handjob, blowjob, intercourse. In my... Yeah, everybody knows. (laughs) In my bedroom, I maneuvered my braces around his penis for what was probably only 30 seconds. I know you're going to get really hot while I'm reading this, so don't be embarrassed. Everybody feels the same way. (laughs) As far as I can remember, he was hard from the start. I didn't take off my clothes, and he only pulled down his pants. And perhaps because he started out hard, I expected an immediate result from my efforts. So I stopped and asked him if it was all right, okay, or good. 
I think if you let me rub against you, he said, and we laid down and dry humped for what may have been even less than 30 seconds before he hurriedly stuffed himself back in my mouth. After he came, he went on his way, and the phone calls continued, though we never had a sexual encounter again. I knew that Caleb, the restaurant waiter, liked me. I don't remember if he told me directly or if it were relayed through mutual friends. And because I was otherwise boyfriendless, and we were already going... We were sorry, we were already around each other all the time. I think part of me assumed we'd end up going out. But nothing official was in place at the moment, and I hadn't considered that I shouldn't give another guy a blowjob out of respect for Caleb's random crush, nor that it would be bad form to tell him about it. I learned pretty quickly, though, that he did not find this recent development nearly as amusing or charming as I presumed he would. It was my first experience with a man reproaching me because of my sexual behavior with another, and it didn't feel good. More accurately, it it felt steeringly awful and totally confusing. I was willing to believe I'd done something wrong because I knew Caleb was a good person, but I hadn't intended to hurt him, and I didn't feel guilty. In my mind, men wanted to have sex, so it was good to know a certain girl would be sexual. And it was a good thing if the girl you were with was sexually appealing to other guys. The more people wanted her, the hotter she was. That was just math. (laughs) And the more sex a girl had, the better a girl would be at sex. This was all basic and self-evident, so much so that at the start of that same summer, I shamelessly enlisted my best friend on a quest. We'd practice sex now with whoever we could, with whoever would offer himself up as fodder, and then we'd be good at it when we met men who really mattered to us. <laughs> <laughs> These ideas came from somewhere, or else I was born with them. Later, close to graduation, I found out that Mike, that's the first blowjob guy, had told everyone at his lunch table about our two minutes, and therefore probably 90% of the people I took classes with knew and had known for years. I cannot recall feeling hurt or embarrassed by this, though I was struck by his general immaturity and tackiness. He had more social cachet than I did, so maybe I banked on class embarrassment to keep him from telling all the assholes he hung out with, which is probably a little hypocritical since I told my own gang of beloved assholes, though though in my defense, most of them went to another school. Even later, Mike and I went to the same college and ended up on a lame date that involved wandering around campus at night and eventually going back to his room. Sitting next to him on his bed, fully clothed, and declaring it was time for me to go is still one of my proudest moments. And perhaps it only became so in retrospect, but I believe his lack of discretion and the resulting lack of respect I had for him was the main reason why I left. When my boyfriend and I are getting along, I don't like writing or talking about our relationship because it seems disrespectful to him. There are plenty of things I won't share when we're not getting along, too, because it is too great a violation. But getting along in particular feels exclusive and more private than pretty much anything else in my life ever feels. It's like an alliance with many secret components that wouldn't be intelligible to anyone else but the two of us. And you can laugh when when I say that I'm loyal, but it's the truth. So trying to explain what evolution took place will not be easy, not even to a friend and definitely not to strangers. The odd thing is he apologized. He apologized thoroughly and more than once. In some ways, it was like a moment in a fairy tale when a human emerges from some non-human form. He seemed to transform, but out of his own will. He then pledged his continued transformation to me. I have my theories that I was shaking him out of complacency, reminding him he doesn't control me or that it was evidence of my being ready to move on. I know he'd been telling himself our sex was unsatisfying and sporadic because I didn't have a sex drive, but now here was proof that I did. 
He told himself he knew everything there was to know about me, but for me to take any drug before fucking someone I barely knew shocked him. I think he saw me in that big picture real way of seeing someone, and some of what he saw he didn't recognize, but that obscurity itself was recognizable, and why he responded to me in the first place so many years ago. The following months were somewhat astounding, not without emotional flares on his part or wariness on mine, but he seemed dedicated to this newness. He impressed me. Caleb and I did end up going out. He made me an elaborately hand-drawn poster that read Ass of the Land after I said I had no idea how butts were supposed to look and wasn't sure if mine was any good. (laughs) Ass of the Land was his drunken attempt at conveying my superiority in that department. He was very handsome, beautiful bones in his face, dark hair, blue eyes. He was even confirmed penis length champion out of our social circle of eight or so core guys who all measured together one day. I never saw it myself, though we made out extensively and often in his basement bedroom. I know I felt it once or twice through his jeans. His affirmations never meant much to me because I could tell he liked me for my personality and not my negligible looks, and he was observant enough to know I didn't make the space for him that he made for me, so we didn't stay together for long. I went on to give my second blowjob to a guy equally entrenched in our clique, and this news came out at a group meal at Applebee's, and Caleb and I didn't really talk much for the rest of high school, though I'd trust him to call me by my nickname then if he saw me now, with sweetness in his voice. Since adolescence, I've mainly attracted a certain type of guy, intelligent, likable, and funny, a bit nerdy, outgoing, with a kind but shy heart. Brave enough to tell me how he felt in some quiet patch outside a noisy, drunken party while his friends shouted taunts at him, and I listened with my arms crossed, not not meeting his eyes. Good enough to never treat me meanly, even if I could not say the same for myself. But I never liked those guys back. I shot them down quickly and badly. I was not a pretty girl as an adolescent. I was awkward, self-hating, with the same bad hair I have now. and a crumpled, closed-lipped smile that stuck around for a year after the braces were gone. I didn't want declarations of love or respect or admiration. I wanted to feel physically attractive, so I was only interested in finding men who pursued me explicitly because of sex. What I mean about their hearts being shy is they were expansive and generous people, enthusiastic and high energy while still being gentle. They had a tender space they wanted to share with someone else and only one other person. They had connections, but they wanted intimacy, and they were looking for the right person to help create it. We're not perfect, and he's done some bad things, but my boyfriend might be the only man I've been with who keeps trying to make space for the shaded in parts of me. The places in my heart that are dark to him, either because dark is what they are or because they're simply not yet in the light. It doesn't solve everything, but it's a start. So we keep starting again and again. That's the end of that. (laughs) And then I'm just going to read one more, um, which will help in case you haven't read the book when Anne and I are speaking. And I can use the table of contents to find it. (laughs) That's why it's handy. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Okay, it's called Go Into It. And this is is only like three months, I think, after the one I just read. July to September. Okay. Um, And maybe the only thing you would need to know for this is that George is the guy I'm like most regularly... Yeah, everyone's nodding about George. George is the guy. Let me just put it that way. Um, So go into it. 
After several long nights wrestling the alligator of love, I resigned myself to not seeing George for at least a day or two after my return. My boyfriend found out before I left, for one thing. He saw my text to a friend. Bleh, I love George. (laughs) 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 Though he brought it up with impressive mildness, disclaiming, I trust you, it seemed impossible that, after five days away from home, I could run to this newly loved other man without hurting him deeply. Yeah, I love him, but I'm not in love with him, I said when my boyfriend confronted me. He gave me a look like I usually give him. Okay, he said after a beat. But before my flight back, while we texted, my boyfriend was oddly permissive to the point of outright encouragement, almost pushy. I gave myself an excuse to give in to his prodding. I'll go to George now and tell him and then be free, I reasoned, as if the telling would alleviate my interest in being with him. Like once I delivered the message, I would be released from my desire, curse lifted. George and I texted throughout the trip. Are you back yet? I miss your face, he said. He tried to get me to come to him straight from the airport, but I wouldn't. I had to see my boyfriend first. That was only fair. My boyfriend mentioned he saw George not far from our condo building. He was probably stalking you, he joked. What building do you live in, George would ask later that night. I I keep thinking I'm going to run into you. I keep an eye out for you. I want to walk by while you're looking out your window or leaving or going in with someone. And then what would happen, I asked. I don't know, he said. In the time since the threesome, when we had a threesome, he'd often brought up wanting to live closer to me or visit my home. Us not being neighbors is cruel and unusual punishment, he wrote in an email on the night my love for him broke out of my heart like a fresh, greedy stalk. I wish you lived next door, he would say when I left. I didn't have a plan about how to tell him. I figured I would know when the moment was right. When I got there, he was in the shower, as always. We shouted back and forth about the escort he said he'd met, who apparently he didn't see again after their first random encounter, though they emailed. They had run in together at a restaurant. Like, just, like, they just struck up a conversation at a restaurant. I think she thought I was trying to pimp her, he said, as he stepped out of the bathroom naked, scrubbing his neck with a towel. You know, because I knew a lot of the business, uh, because he had been a former pimp. (laughs) And I guess pretty early on what she did, I think that freaked her out. That makes sense, I said. He'd sent me her website the day after he told me the story about meeting her. She was nothing like I'd imagined in my head, not someone I would have crossed paths with or will. So you didn't have sex? Nuh-uh. Was she trying to get you to hire her? Yeah, maybe. He hustled me into bed. Normally, there's no hurry on her part, but this time it seemed more urgent. I missed you, he said. How long has it been? Four, five days? I didn't tell him. I couldn't bring myself to. Early on, while we were lying together, he started telling me about a girl he was screwing who visited him that afternoon to complain she worried he was, quote, only using her for sex. That girl has a boyfriend. She and George had sex only once before. News that surprised me because he'd talked about her several times. And apparently she came over that afternoon only to talk and cuddle, which turned George into a whiny teenager, rolling his eyes impatient. Or at least he was now with me while remembering it. I started thinking, what if Charlotte came over here and started sucking my dick, he said. What do you mean? Like, I just walked in and started going down on you while she was trying to talk to you? Yeah, he laughed. (laughs) So that was why he tried to get me to come straight over from the airport, to show this other woman how she was supposed to act. I laughed then, too, out of disbelief at my own stupidity, with with ruefulness. Yes, that was what I was to him. Exemplary, convenient cocksucker. Why would I think otherwise? I didn't really realize how these two chapters were going to speak to each other, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> she says she wants someone to be vulnerable with, he went on. Of course, of course she wants that with you because I cut myself off and shook my head. Because that's his whole shtick, to make you feel cared for, special, interesting. What, what is it, he asked, and would keep asking as we fucked, and I smiled the private smile of the corrected fool. I'm just incredulous, I said eventually. Incredulous, he repeated. I'm going to have to look that word up. It means you can't believe it. You can't even believe what's happening. I really did miss you, he said, while he was inside me, over me. To this, I arched my arm out and around from under our bodies to settle my raised middle finger directly in front of his face. <laughs> it looks like that. <laughs> what are you thinking, he said, pulling away to lower his face between my legs. What? Tell me. No, fuck you. If you were really my friend, you'd tell me, he said. I am your friend, I said, abruptly earnest and a little indignant, hurt. I know you are. The friend line hooked me. The next time he asked why I was laughing, I said, because you're manipulative. You think I'm manipulative, and I don't even know. He feigned some outrage over this, but was too amused to do it well. He laughed. He tried to be curious instead. That's one option, I said, or that I do know. That's the second option. These were both possibilities I'd considered extensively since we met. I thought they didn't matter. I told myself they didn't. But now I realize they were all that mattered. The sex was forgettable. I looked up at my bouncing foot in the ceiling behind it while George rocked away, and I thought about how many fake flashpoints I'd tried to set up for myself in this regard, even though I should know better. The first time I faked an orgasm with him, I thought, I'll never have sex with him again. That's the end. Whenever our sex lasted longer than I wanted or I found myself wondering when it might be over, I thought, it's boring me now, I won't come back. But I would. Those weren't the significant pieces of him that stayed with me. I kept looking for an end, but I didn't find it. After he came, he snuggled me closer to his chest. Cuddling, your least favorite part, I said, giggling, still feeling shocked and sour and alone in love. I'd thought so much about how and where and when to tell him. I hadn't been ready to consider not telling him at all. Your favorite part, he said. Oh yeah, the only part I liked. We both laughed, because the truth is I normally bolt as soon as the sex is over. I disentangled myself from him then as I looked at the clock. My boyfriend jokes about how about 60 seconds afterwards I reach for my bra, I said as I dressed. It's because of work. So you really do have a boyfriend, George said. And I finally had my answer about how sincere George had been all those times he said he didn't believe I was partnered. I thought about how I'd never spent the night with him except for when I brought Emma, how I'd never seen him and not had sex with him. I thought about how I rushed to leave once it's over. Of course he only saw me as a pinched <laughs> dick sucker. How badly I'd misunderstood my own life. He was reluctant to let me leave. He wanted to show me something on his computer, then wrapped his arms around me and drew me to him as I stood while he sat. We should take a vacation together to Barcelona or something, he said. But then... <laughs> yeah, this is what men are like. I don't know if you've met men, but like... <laughs> um, but then you'd get annoyed when I didn't brush my teeth enough and you'd go see other prostitutes. I was referring to when he snuck away from his ex to hire sex workers while they were traveling in Mexico. He considered that for a moment, then said, We can post Craigslist ads there. I laughed. Go overseas just to fuck more people. It was ridiculous and yet very true to who we were. <laughs> I don't think you lie, I said as he held me. What I really meant was, I think you're too slick to have to tell outright lies. That's what I count on for myself anyway. I don't, he said. Well, not to you. Why would I when we're so straightforward? 
I went home and got into bed with my boyfriend. My heart was gulping like a hungry flame. I still hadn't found the ending. I kept trying to trick myself into letting it go, but I couldn't. There's no point fighting for something circumstances aren't ready to give you. So I was afraid, so what? I've been afraid before, I'll be afraid again. I knew what to do with this type of fear. I roused myself in the dark to write one phrase on the paper by my nightstand, go into it. The next morning I told George I loved him. That's it. Um, so I and most people here know that you wrote this sort of in real time. Was it in real time? All the chapters? Um, the the end of the book is is has a lot more of a delay, mm-hmm. but there's a period um, in the summer of 2014 when if you if you look at the dates, which honestly, if I were reading the book, is like an audience member I wouldn't ever because I would just ignore them but um like there's one here August that was sent on August 12th and then there's one that was sent on August 15th so like there's a period in there where they're really rapid fire where it really was like you know I was writing about something that happened within one week like just a few days later um and and then it's like a little more distance at the end but yeah there are parts where it's very immediate so were you tempted to take all of it and then sit down and write a more traditional memoir or is there a reason that you wanted to kind of present it like a catalog or like everything in order more or less how you wrote it at the time um well the book exists because the people reading the letter were so great and really like amazing in their responses to it and so I felt very connected to them and I felt like they I would get emails from people saying like I just subscribed I had you know can you send me all the old letters and I was sort of like no that's the whole point like you can't read the old letters I was a late subscriber but I feel good I did not send that email I knew <laughs> yeah you knew better yeah I knew no, better I mean I, I always felt really bad when people would write that and I, I felt like a jerk not doing it but I was also like no somehow this is like how it's supposed to be um so really like the whole idea was just that like some people have told me they feel so strongly about these letters like I want to give it to them as like something that they can hold on to and have the whole thing and read the whole thing. Right. And um, so, so to that end, I kind of like wanted to stay true to how it happened. And how it happened was really just me being like, I don't feel like I'm in a good place in my life right now, and I want this outlet. And then um, the period in the summer where they're coming so rapid fire, I had hit like this really nice... Um, I don't even remember how many people were reading at that point, but it was like just the right amount of people where there were where every morning after I when the mornings I would send them I'd usually send them like really late Sunday night like three a.m. like Eastern's time and then like Monday morning on Twitter it would be all these amazing people being like oh my god like I can't believe that happened <laughs> and it was really gratifying and it made it like created more urgency for me to think like I have to tell them about what what else happened like they don't even know like they think that's crazy they don't even know like what just happened <laughs> so um and sometimes I'd tweet stuff that where I'd be like oh you don't even know like just keep keep waiting like it'll get better you're like tune in next week tune in tomorrow I know it was yeah it was very much like that which was fun, hopefully, for everyone. Is there, do you feel like there are any downsides or reasons that your writing suffered because it, most of it was, was written so soon after you've had these experiences? <laughs> I 
happened like definitely i don't know it's like <laughs> sorry to frame that negatively or like no, or was it, was like, it yeah my writing's not good yeah. um <laughs> yeah. false <laughs> um i i don't know i guess i feel like a lot of the flaws of my writing are probably there all the time because the way I write is probably like I'm like kind of a procrastinator or I go all in one burst too where it's like I'm really gonna just get this out which is how I wrote most of the letters I would like tell myself that I had to send one for Monday so Sunday night I would just set aside you know I wouldn't even set aside I wouldn't set aside at like 10 p.m. I'd start writing and then I would just stay up as late as I needed to write what I needed to write but um I mean, the, the the nice thing about it was that I felt like I could at least be semi-true to, like, the dialogue. There's a lot of dialogue in the book mm-hmm. because I would... It's not like somebody would talk to me and I would write it down right then or even as soon as I got home, but that a lot of this was so fresh in my mind that I feel like I can be true to some of the details and some of the dialogue in a way that I would not... I wouldn't want to attempt to try if I were writing about something with more distance, um, that that freshness was very convenient. Was like the inconvenient thing would be like a really stupid typo or like a missing word that would drive me crazy. And, right. you know, and, and sometimes just like editing where, believe it or not, like these are edited and like where I would cut out some things thinking because I was writing it late at night, I was tired. I started losing my ability to discern. Like this really doesn't have to be here. Like this something this happened. This literally happened. Like it doesn't have to be in here just because it happened. Yeah, there's a part in the book. Um, I think it's fairly early on where you talk about the idea of privacy and how like I. I please correct me if I'm misremembering this. And for you, it's really important to be able to just set the boundary or decide what's revealed and when. And so I'm wondering. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, what what are those moments? Like, did you have a lot of moments where you were like, I, I need, I wish I had not left that in. Um, I wish I'd drawn the line differently. <laughs> yeah, every time I read publicly, I'm like, wow. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm really going there with, like, what's happening in bed. Um, no, I don't know. I guess, like, I'm... I think of myself as a really private person, but then you can like look at the evidence of how I exist in the world, which doesn't really support that. Like I don't really <laughs> feel the need to. <laughs> and anybody, but even on one on one, like I think even one on one, like there aren't many things that somebody would ask me where I would think like, I where my response would be like, I'm not going to tell you. That's private. It would be more like, you don't deserve to know. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of maybe that's where the line exists. Yeah. You know, it really is. Like if somebody feels maybe entitled to information, mm-hmm. which that might have been the context in which I was talking about it. It's like it comes up sometimes if you're a sex worker. I mean, if you're any type of service worker, right. where you're like somebody who's in a, like a client wants to know something about you, and they kind of feel like entitled to know it, and you're like, you don't need to know it. Like this isn't your business, mm-hmm. and it's not because I'm ashamed of it, or like it's just because it's not your business. It's nothing to do with you. And 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 sometimes like to send a message would be like that's off limits to you. Right. Right. <laughs> and as your readership got bigger, did you start to think of those questions differently when it came to like your clients or lovers or the like the men who pepper this book? Well, <laughs> one of my old clients kept signing up for the list again and again, and I just kept deleting his email. <laughs> and he probably just was like, this is broken. Like, why don't I get an email? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but mostly, I guess I felt like when, the, when I was uh, like maybe hitting like critical mass with readership, it was just so modest. 
it's not an Ann Friedman newsletter that I was sending out here. <laughs> this is being recorded. I'm holding up a hand. I'm holding up a stop hand. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, I, I don't know. You know, I've had former clients order the book, like order prostitute laundry or MB, which has a lot more sex work in it. And like a lot of the people ordering it, I mean, Prostitute laundry, like in spite of the title, doesn't actually talk about my clients that much, um, or even really sex work that much. And a lot of the men who made the connection between, um, like Charlotte and my escort persona, and realized they, I'm sure that everyone ordering the book knew. Like I don't think that was, you know, like clueless. Um, but I kind of felt like, well, you obviously went like you're your curiosity is going to be satisfied. Like, either you want to be written about and you want to see how that's going to happen or you are hoping you're not written about and, like, maybe you aren't. But the other thing is that, um, I guess the way I always felt with the issue of clients reading the work, particularly when I had the blog, which is which became NB, um, was that if they'd found it, sometimes I worried, like, what if a client finds this and recognizes this un flattering like description of our time together and, and then I realized like you know any guy who finds this is never going to say oh man like I'm that gross guy she hated me with he's going to be like I'm the guy with the really good body who she was like I wish we could date in real life you know, like it doesn't matter how like clearly you know like yeah. but 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 I think hopefully to my credit even if somebody in the book would recognize themselves I really tried to wash out like identifying details that would mean people who know them would like read the book and recognize them. Right. Um, which to me is kind of like the minimum required, I guess, to do mm-hmm. this type of writing. Right. Yeah. Um, I really love how you write about men. I don't know what that says about, <laughs> about, about me. Um, <laughs> that I have good taste. That you love yeah. the truth. Um, <laughs> that I love the truth. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I really like, I noticed is that, you know, you, you had to make a lot of choices about like how and when to name the men in the book. Like some, some of them are kind of just like that guy. And some of them have like, obviously like real real names or names that like might be their real names and others are like or yeah are literally called like salad guy or whatever um which i think is actually how like a lot of real women talk to each other about like the uh, if they sleep with men the men that they sleep with you know, oh it's my like, god it's like someone has to graduate amazing. that was like 12 women just like all of a sudden being like mm-hmm. it's like you have to graduate to having a real name in text or whatever it's like oh we're calling him by anyway um and so so i'm curious about like if I, I know, I know that um, you know. Again, you kind of like you wrote in real time, but I don't know like, when you were thinking about how to name people or how to call them in the writing. Was that based on exactly what you called them in real life, or was there a gap, or with your friends? I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, when I was, well, sorry to keep talking about MB because this is like this, like not the headliner. But when I was writing the blog, I. Um, which was, like, I had no idea how many people were reading it, and um, I would never name anyone. It, it's like, in N- NB, I don't think there are any proper male names in NB, like, at all, mm-hmm. ever. It's just, it's all, pro- like, he, or sometimes it's, like, the client who whatever. Just like you're saying, mm-hmm. like, it's like, solid guy, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I made that up. No, I like it. I, like, I wish I had a salad guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, 
so what I realized kind of early on doing the blog was that people reading it couldn't tell the difference between when the he was my boyfriend and when the mm. he was my client. And um, that was really interesting to me, and it was not intentional. Mm-hmm. Because when I was writing the blog, it really was like a, a very, like a public journal. It wasn't me being like, I'm going to write this, and like an agent's going to notice me. It was me just being like, I need somebody to like, <laughs> I need to just like get this out. Um, <laughs> but um, so for I think that by the time I started sending the letters, I was a little more mindful of like I started to realize that like the the prop like proper names would be like proper nouns would be required um and sometimes that was just like in the course maybe of writing a letter like I'm just thinking the even the one I read like practice where like these there are these three guys from like my high school days and they all get fake names and it was because I just realized like I can't keep doing he 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 it's too confusing um and but yeah like my one of the friends who's credited in the acknowledgements um and I were like were like rabidly texting each other about like all our exploits and we came up with a ridiculous name for every guy and then we condensed it to an acronym so (laughs) it would be like like there was this oh my god I wish I could remember like there was one guy honestly it was like something really mean so I think we honestly use the acronym sometimes like not sound so mean (laughs) to not remind ourselves of what like awful petty bitches we were which would be it'd be like you know I, I don't know like um I shouldn't even give examples they're too incriminating but but relevant to the book um you know like so from the ink in his nail beds on it's like I remember writing the ink in his nail beds and being like, I'm going to choose to give this guy a name even though I don't actually know what's going to happen between us because I'm really into him. And then, like, so the name was Max. But when I first was, like, planning to meet him and I was texting my friend, it's like, what are we going to call him? And so we had a name for him and we used the acronyms for him. And then, like, as the relationship progressed, which, like, I won't say anymore to, like, not spoil the book if you haven't read it, but I had to, like, really try to train her to start using his real name. Like, every time we'd text, I'd be like, Max and I, blah, 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 and she'd be like, oh yeah, US and you, and I'm like, his name's Max now, like, you don't have to keep calling him the acronyms, like, <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, so I don't know, so sometimes it was because I just realized, like, it's too hard on readers to not give a little more, like, container for this person, um, and other times it was, actually, I mean, I think you can, the time where you most clearly see it happen is, um, when I'm talking about George, but I ta- I call him the bodybuilder for a while, there's, like, three chapters where I only call him the bodybuilder, and then I'm finally like, okay, I should just give him a name, he keeps showing up, it's going to be easier for everyone. <laughs> Right. Um, I'm curious about so so. I think that you you were great. You're a great sex writer, which is like different than like being a great writer. It's like a separate. It's like a sub skill, you know. Yeah, and I, it is. It's, it's like, like different. No, no, no. Like not a lesser than. Just <laughs> no, like a, you know, know a different. Know. And um and I mean, it's notable how many writers are bad at it. You know, every year there's like pro, like a who gives away the prize for worst sex writing. There's like a publication that the bad does sex. Yeah. yeah like, and but I think good good sex writing is kind of like what they say about like um like the legal test for pornography. It's like, oh, I know it's good when I read it, but, like, I don't know critically how to decide. I don't know. I don't know how to describe, yeah. like, what. So I'm curious about, like, whether you think about rules for writing about sex or what you think makes for good, like, in the most explicit sense, <laughs> like, good sex writing. Well, um, I think that when I when I started writing about my own sex really explicitly, it was definitely, like, in the blog. It was in Nightmare Brunette. And um, I was influenced pretty heavily, like, 
uncomfortably transparently for me, like when I read it, by some of the other sex worker blogs that were around at the time, which was this like weird phenomenon for a while when there were all these women writing about being like indoor sex workers and it's not so much a thing anymore because they're all on Tumblr and Twitter and they're all like I don't know, they have communities. It's way different than it used to be very much like pre-recession this um, really cagey, like dramatic depiction of, you know, like working in New York and like making so much money and having these like, really intense sexual encounters with like hedge fund managers or whatever. Um, I know. It yeah. does not sound sexy. I know. It wasn't sexy, which is why it's so uncomfortable to read Too myself like yeah. kind of trying to emulate them, which was also, it was also like a class thing. It wasn't even like a, um, I don't know. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it before, but I guess there is sort of like a, a weird, maybe unexpected angle of like, class conveyance sometime in sex writing where it's like I want you to know that I'm like a really classy slut like you know I want you to know I'm like really sexy and have a lot of sex but like I do it in like the classy way um and which is really dreadful to read it's like really self-serious and um just like melodramatic um, and doesn't have a lot of perspective. And I think that I'd written the blog long enough and like experimented with adopting kind of like the tone of like, I hope that I sound cool and adult and like I'm somebody elegant. <laughs> 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 I'm giving all my blowjobs or whatever. But um, <laughs> then by the time I was sending the letters, I was just more like, I really want to talk about what this feels like. I mean, even at the end of NB, I'd gotten to that where I'm like, the reason I'm describing the sex is because like, the physical sensations embedded in sex, which are not always pleasurable, are like speaking to and creating and like changing my emotions in a particular way. And I like wanted to interact with that. So every time I wrote about sex in prostitute laundry, for sure, and like increasingly in Nightmare Brunette too, like probably for like the second half or something, to whatever extent I'm ever writing details about the sex, it's always because I want to be like, this is how these like emotions were swimming through this sex or like this is how this sex made me feel this way and um so I don't know maybe that's maybe that's better if it's like hopefully not so much ego like it is is serving like a a better purpose than making me feel good about myself I also just love the acknowledgement too of like the, like the bad sex in this, <laughs> you know. I mean, I think that there, there's a there's a there are a few points where I'm just like, uh, heterosexual men should all have to read this. Like you describe one sex act as scrapey, like you know, like the only word I can use is scrapey. You know, it's like it's not. I mean, and that that's like one reason why I would I would consider it really good is because it's not just like here is something designed to be really sexy. It's like it is it is actually like writing about things that feel very real and I think like feel really real to the experience of like being a woman who has sex yeah (laughs) Yeah, sorry that wasn't a question uh, that was a statement (laughs) (laughs) no and I think that's part of the reason why like when I do readings I always just like pick a a letter that I want to read and then normally there's a point in the letter I'm like I didn't realize there's gonna be so much like graphic stuff in this (laughs) like I've never read my own writing before um but uh I think part of what makes me feel like not self-conscious about reading it in person is because I'm like it's fine if, like, not any of you, but, like, if in, like, another audience somebody were getting turned on while I were reading it, like, that would be fine. But, um, <laughs> no, it's, like, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's also, like, I'm reading it, and I'm kind of, like, well, this is explicit, but, like, it's not 
I don't think anyone here is getting turned on. You know, it's like kind of like Never receiving know. it in a different way. <laughs> yeah, and how did you feel when you were reading? I was very turned on at certain points of this book. If, thank you for asking. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. let's just like stop that one right there. Um, I, I have one last question that I want to ask you. And then um, if folks have questions, you guys can chime in. If not, I have way more. But um, you, you at one point write in the book, that you um, you definitely could choose not to write, that you don't feel like you have a, like, I don't know, like a drive within you to get the words out. I must write at all costs. I forget exactly how you phrase it, but I related to it very, very much. Like, I've never had that, like, I'll die if I can't write this. Yeah. I just like doing it. And so I'm curious if, you know, if, as you say, you could definitely choose not to, why do you choose to do it and write in the style and in the way that you do? Yeah, I think that I know that I felt just a minute ago, like two minutes ago or something, I said something about writing the blog and how I was like, I just have to get this out. I'm, it's <laughs> There is that moment of, for me anyway, like because writing is how I sort of understand myself, where I think like I need to write about this and then I'll have like, I feel like I have like processed the experience. Um, but, but to me it's like because envy and prostitute laundry, I mean since... I have written some personal stuff, but I feel like most of my writing now is, it's not as personal. It's like, I'm doing a lot more, just like more classical nonfiction. It's like sort of lightly reported, whatever. Um, And I just, I, I remember being at the point where I'm sending out the letters and I just kind of felt like, it seems maybe like a, a way to deflect responsibility to be like, but this is my story. Like, I just have to tell my story. Cause it's, it's like, it's fine. It is your story. But I was also like, you know, I'm really, I am making a choice. Like, I know that there are other, there are people in my story and like, I'm talking about intimate things regarding them. And, um, like, just people who like cannot help but be involved even like my parents you know where you might say like well a client is kind of like willingly putting himself in this position where maybe someday somebody would expose him or like you know but um but other people who are like true innocence you know <laughs> who've like done nothing to have to be like kind of pulled into this um so yeah I don't know I think I just really I guess I don't I can't think of any writers I take seriously who would say like I just have have to write. It seems like a real amateur. You know what I mean? And I, I don't. Maybe that sounds cruel. Um, like I feel powerfully about writing. It's important to me. I guess like maybe I sometimes I do have to write, but maybe it's the act of sharing it that is the real choice. You know, it's like of course I could have written this in a notebook. Like why did I put it online? Why did I make it available online? Like that was the real choice. Like it's one thing to just write at night when I'm upset about something, but to make other people look at it. Right. It's like a different level of agency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, does anyone have a question? I have way more if you don't. Yeah. Um, when this is turned into a Disney film, <laughs> yeah, I until today. It was really, really interesting. I just want to ask, I have two questions. Did you ever feel like your life was in danger? And also, after your first book, you, you subconsciously kept doing it in order to be like almost an undercover journalist to have material to write about? Um, well, I... Both of these books basically came out at the same time. The one, they just were like different collections of... Um, like writings that already existed, so the like by the point at which I was going to um, put them into a book, like they'd all they each already existed. So none of it was written as like I'm going to turn this into a book. Um, uh, but 
No, I've always... I don't think of myself as a journalist. I don't have the chops yet. Maybe someday, sort of. I don't know. I, journalists, I always think of like... This is going to seem really irreverent, given like the tone of the rest of the talk, but like that guy who I think he, I think he lived here, who was like his car blew up mysteriously, and he was. Do you know? Yeah, we cannot get into that. Okay, right no, now. we can't. We can't. But like to me, that's like a journalist, like somebody who the government is going to try to take out. Um, so I would never call myself a journalist. Even me like, neither in that case. An, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have very high standards for yeah, my journalism. <laughs> if you don't have like a hit out on you, you're probably not doing if the real you're work. Not threatening the government with your yeah. with your truth. Yeah, and, and and on that same vein, like I've not felt like my life would was endangered by my writing. So, yeah. which is nice. That's a luxury, I guess. Great. Yeah. <laughs> questions? No. Want me to look at my other questions that I didn't ask written in the back of this book? Um, what else? Um, yeah, I'm curious about, um, because of, like, at a certain point, obviously, like, and this is sort of also maybe as your audience grew, you knew you were writing more, like, for others, you know, not just in a journal or, like, that a couple hundred people saw. And, like, how much did thinking about writing it about something that was happening later that day or, like, that, whatever, like, like did that mediate your actual experience of living it? Um, I'm sure it did. Like, I don't... I never felt self-consciously like I'm um, like I'm a character now like I'm doing this as my character it was it all felt very authentic but I know that you know just like putting this much attention on my life it felt like it changed it a lot it felt like it accelerated things um, and maybe in some ways it inflated my emotions like I tend to think of writing or the way I write or the type of writing I do that like um, that it actually kind of like placates me it's kind of like like the t-shirt around the horse's face like when there's a fire like just like how I use my writing for myself um but maybe I'm wrong like maybe writing about it made me way more worked up and like emotionally sensitive which is not I don't even think that's a bad thing like so if that were true that's okay but um it definitely did yeah it changes your life a lot I think if you write about it even without like uh even without sharing it with other people you know I always do like those kind of corny seeming experiments where it's like write, you know, notice, like, the positive interactions you have in a day and, like, write them down mm -hmm. at the end of the day and how, like, people always feel happier in, like, six mm -hmm. months or whatever. So I know that it, that had the same effect of, mm -hmm. like, shaping my life that way. Yeah. In the back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I'm curious whether, um, just thinking about, like, you creating yourself as a character when you were working, when you were a sex worker, like, whether that, you feel like that experience helped you prepare you for the experience of sort of being a character in your writing? Um, yeah, I always feel, like, guilty when other when other sex workers are... Like, when I read in Baltimore a while ago, somebody came up to me afterwards and was, like, if, like talking about feeling like she's acting at work, and um, I kind of never felt like I was acting at work more than the normal amount of acting we all kind of do, but, like, women in particular, like, do to just, like, you know, like get through their day with, like, the minimal amount of hassle, hopefully, or just because they feel like other people are obligated to them keeping things pleasant. Um, so, but you know what? It's, like, more like editing. It's, like, when I was a sex worker, it really felt like, I didn't feel like I had a different persona. I felt like I was heavily editing my own personality, mm -hmm. and then it's kind of, like, the same way, probably, in, mm -hmm. in the books and, like, in my personal writing. I'm just, like, really editing, like, what I share and, um, 
Yeah, I mean, you you won't think that I'm editing anything out when you read it, but <laughs> but I'm sure there is still that act of like like there is there still is some investment. Like, how are people going to see me? And like, and and also just like wanting to explain myself. Like, I really want to make it clear why I think I did this. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they're yeah they're related. I mean, I was just telling Anne before we got here that I feel like my writing career is like exactly mirrors kind of like my sex work career that they feel very similar to each other in a way that actually I like a lot and like makes me feel like my like existence is cohesive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. One more. Is there another question? If there is one. Don't I, feel... I have many others, so speak quickly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, 45 no, seconds. No, we can't, That's we can't, what I said. Yeah, That's the second timer. It's so long. In the front. <laughs> I don't know if you actually do want to talk about this since we've kind of ceased the or pared down the PL um, letters, but will you talk a little bit about your post-PL life and you know, you've been doing a lot more? Oh, like writing or just like everything? Like give you the like where are they now? But like the epi- the at the end of the movie when it's like uh, and it's like I went on to do this. That's a really good last question. <laughs> That's a good last question. Um well, um, I, I, um, have, like, some different projects in the work, which, works which I'm really excited about, like, the, um, it's in the, in the letters, it's definitely in the letters, like, at the end of the letters, I moved to New York, and moving to New York really helped me, like, start a new kind of, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, a non-corny way to say it, it really helped me, like, put my attention on writing, and, connect with and stay connected to people who I can work with. So I have a lot of projects with like other writers now which are really exciting and that's something I used to dream about like as a kid growing up in bumfuck like where I did where I was just like I'm going to meet some really creative people and like we'll all get famous together. <laughs> I thought it was going to be music but and it still might. Um, <laughs> but uh, like it's really fun to collaborate with people. Like I didn't wasn't even sure that would be an option because I'd never really tried it. But um, I have so many friends now who are great writers and thinkers, and like working with them is amazing. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I love being in New York. Like I love doing this. I really like doing the readings and like meeting people who liked the book or um, are even curious about it. And um, I, it's gonna, it'll start on Monday. So um, I have a column now with Fusion, but the first one will go up on Monday. Um, and it's going to be, it's won't be a lot of personal writing, although like I, everything ends up kind of being like in first person that I write. Um, it's not all me anymore. I know you guys already know. That's like what the you know what the market wants. That's like what the beast demands now. Anyway, so right, it's convenient. very now. It's very I now. Know. I yeah. really got my finger on the pulse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that's going to be actually more kind of like science writing. Like I've been doing more science writing, which is fun and I love. Um, it just takes an obscene amount of time because like my back. You know, I'm really worried about getting something wrong, so I research a lot and like really agonize over things but it's worth it because it's a really fun exciting type of writing so um things are great I feel really good about it and I am retired from sex work like and I feel good about that and like I don't have regrets about having done it but I'm really glad that it's done with at the same time so yeah things are good awesome thank you thank you thank you all for coming You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. 
Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.